Hear the word of God from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 28. This reading comes from the Common English Bible. By faith, Moses was hidden by his parents for three months when he was born because they saw that the child was beautiful and they weren't afraid of the king's orders. By faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter when he was grown up. He chose to be mistreated with God's people instead of having the temporary pleasures of sin. He thought that the abuses he suffered were from Christ were more valuable than the treasures of Egypt, since he was looking forward to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt without being afraid of the king's anger. He kept on going as if he could see what is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood in order that the destroyer could not touch their firstborn children. The word of God for the world. Thanks be to God. So anybody scared? Anybody have any fear in their life anywhere? Everybody's in the back. Only one person in the back is scared. But the rest of you can go home. So I see you. Uh, we have a complicated relationship with fear, don't we? We have a complicated relationship with, because it helps us. It actually, that instinctual desire keeps us alive, right? It helps us to avoid protesters that are yelling at us on campus over there. It, it, it does things like that. It helps us to avoid things that could be bad. But it also can wound us. It can prevent us from doing things. It can wound our relationship and it can also make us do pretty dumb things when we're scared, right? We have a complicated relationship with it. But on one hand, fear mixed with a little bit of hope and faith and drive can get the world to, to address the most complex of the world's problems. And what it also can do is it can get people unified around hate and division. Can it? You see, fear is a powerful motivator to get us to do stuff and to stop us to do stuff. And we're going to look at that today. But we're going to look at a particular form of fear as it relates to the spiritual life. A particular form of fear as it relates to the spiritual life. I'm going to tell you a story. 20 years ago, and I can remember it as clear as greeting you just a couple of minutes ago outside. I was a brand new social worker working for Tampa Crossroads, working with guys transitioning out of prison and jail back into the community. We had gotten a new house up near USF, and I had a number of guys assigned to me on the caseload, one in particular I was getting ready to meet that day. When I was hired for the job, I said, there's one particular group of folks I don't want to work with. So I got this file of the guy I'm meeting, and I thoroughly reviewed his file, and I sat there waiting for our first meeting. And I heard on the door, my my pulse started going. You see, this guy came straight from prison 
after spending some time there because of crimes against children. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want him to be there. And I didn't want to do what I was called to do. So here's a question for you. Have you ever had a time in your life when you didn't want to do something? When you didn't feel equipped to do it or you didn't have the skills or you didn't have the know-how or you didn't, you were scared. Well, if you answered yes, then this story today about Moses that we're going to walk through has some wisdom, I think, for you. And if you never have had fear because of what God or your job or your family or some issue in your life has to do, I guarantee as you follow Jesus, eventually God's going to bring you face to face with something you're scared about. That's really the journey of faith. So today is week three of four in our Hall of Faith series. And you have to remember, for the, I know not everybody's been here, but what's that word for faith? Pistis. Say it one time. Pistis. All right. I love that word. Don't ask why, but I love it. And Hebrews 11 out of the gate says what faith is. Faith or pistis is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things unseen. So we hope for some stuff, even though, and we believe that God's going to do it, even though that all the evidence in front of us is, is not, not, not saying that it's going to happen. So we've looked at Noah and Abraham, and now it's Moses. And so Moses, this guy, is called to lead the people out of slavery, and he doesn't want to do it. And you're going to see why. Because, and you're going to see a pattern. And fear has a toolbox. Fear has a particular toolbox in the spiritual life that wants to thwart our call. And we're going to see that through Moses' story. So I don't want to assume everybody knows the story. For those of you that know it, you can glaze over for the next two minutes. For those of you who don't, we're going to try to bring out some of the story. So Moses was born into slavery. You have to remember Joseph was sent down to Egypt by his brothers, right? And then he became the big dog there, and things were going well with that pharaoh for the Jews, but then that pharaoh died, and, and next thing you know, uh, people forget. And so they enslaved the Jews, and the Egyptians and pharaoh are very, very harsh uh, with them. Moses is born into that. And the king's orders, you saw that in the Hebrews text, the king's orders were to kill all young male Hebrews. So his parents, could you imagine that parents, hid him for three months and did the best they could to shelter him, but they knew they were running out of time and they were going to lose it. And so they did the only thing that they knew to do, was put Moses in a basket and let go down the Nile. Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses and takes him to be her own. So, there we are. So Moses grows up an Egyptian, but he has his roots in uh, actually the Hebrew people. You could imagine every day, probably growing up, he saw the slavery, he saw the suffering, all that. But then it says in the scripture, it's a real quick pivot. It says, then one day he walked outside. 
And he saw the suffering. He didn't say it exactly like that, but kind of. He saw the suffering of an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And what happened to him? He got consumed with anger and he killed him. Moses was a murderer, right? We forget that oftentimes. We forget that. So, so he, he kills an Egyptian, buries him in the sand, and then he, he sees the next day two Hebrews fighting, and he tries to intervene, says, oh, you know, we're the people, and they go, you killed someone. Pharaoh found out, and he ran for a really long time. The Bible says 40 years. He spends time in the desert. He gets married. He's a shepherd. He's tending to flocks. He's doing his deal. But guess who's, who's still suffering? Everybody in Egypt. Everybody's still suffering in Egypt. But Moses is out in Midian. He's in the field. Raising kids and raising animals. But at the end of chapter 2, it says this. Pharaoh had died, the person who wanted to kill Moses. And the Israelites groaned under their slavery and cried out. And out of the slavery, their cry for help rose to God. And God heard that groan. So I want to I suggest to you that there are often two characteristics in a call. We all know Moses was called. But there's oftentimes two characteristics of a call. The first is to participate in some kind of suffering alleviation. God calls us to participate in suffering alleviation. That's the first. And the second is usually it's way bigger than we can do on our own resources or our own talents or our own faith. So in your little insert, if you want to follow along, it says, at first glance, it seems like Moses would be an unlikely candidate of the faith. He's a murderer. He's an old man. He's a shepherd. But then God calls him. We know this part of the story. What happens? The burning bush. So the burning bush shows up and says, hey, man, you are going to go back to Pharaoh and save my people. And what happens to Moses? He freaks out. That's not how they say it, but that's exactly what he did. He freaked out. He said, uh-uh. The word that he uses is the word that we have when it comes to fear, when we're called to something big, whether it be a church vision, whether it be uh, something in our own lives, whether it be engaging in faith, we have this one important word that shows up all over Exodus 3 and all over Exodus 4. You know what it is? But. Yo Moses uses but over and over again. Here's what he says. After God calls him and says, I'm going to send you. He says, but who am I? Who am I to go? That first bullet is, you see, this is fear's roadmap, is the first bullet. See, Moses had a past. He had a past that fear told him he can't do it because you're a murderer, because you're an old man, because you, can't, you weren't able to get the Hebrews with your anger organized. 
He had a past. He had a past that told him he wasn't up to the challenge. And maybe that's some of you here today. Maybe you think, yeah, but my past. I wasn't really raised in the church. I don't actually even like reading the Bible. It's a scary document. Or maybe, maybe it's you had a lot of brokenness in your past and you don't feel qualified to do something in ministry and you have some buts that you're using as well. That's the first one. Moses had a past. The second one, tactic that fear used in his life and I want to suggest in ours is skill deficits. Skill deficits. Moses says that he doesn't have the skills to do it. He argued he didn't know what to say. Well, what? I'm going to go to them. What am I supposed to say to them? Who are you? Who sent me? I don't know what to say. And that's some of us sometimes when we get asked to do something in the spiritual journey. I don't know what to do. I've not really been a part of this thing. I don't know how to engage. I come to worship and I go. I don't know what God's calling me to alleviate suffering or go serve in the world. Skill deficits. You can hear it in your head, and it might not just be related to church. You may be starting a new job. You may be starting a new relationship, and you might hear that little whisper. You're not good enough. You don't have the skills to do this job. You're a fraud. Anyone has that little voice talking to them every once in a while? Skill deficits, the second fear. The last one, the last tactic that he use, uses, it's a category that all of it kind of follow, falls into, but fear uses excuses. Moses suggested that his speech impediment or his lack of eloquence should disqualify him. And it says in Exodus, he begs God to send somebody else. Please send somebody else other than me. Not me. I'm not good enough. I can't speak well. They're not going to follow me. Send anybody but me. Fear says that too in our lives. Oftentimes when Jesus calls us, the Spirit calls us to engage and be a part of the alleviation of suffering, whatever it might be, we say, but not me. Send somebody else. They got plenty of people to work on that at Metropolitan Ministries or Feeding America or the Portico Workforce Housing. They got, they got people. Work that out. Just send somebody else. Let's face it. Sometimes we all have buts in our lives that we use as excuses. But if we can believe, if we can have pistis, and believe that God is with us, we're called to share and be the good news of Jesus and to participate in God's transformation of the world. We're going to say the Lord's Prayer later in communion, and we're going to say, on earth, say it with me, as it is in heaven, right? We are praying and we are saying that we're going to make 
heaven here and now that's not seen. But my past. But my deficit. But my excuses. But the good news about this, the good news about this story is God's call is supposed to extend us. And God's call also gives us a roadmap through those, through those buts, through Moses' uh, story. Listen to the beginning of Exodus 4. Moses offers another excuse. He says, but suppose they don't believe me. And God gives him the roadmap and gives us the roadmap through a question. He says to Moses, what's in your hand? Say that with me. What's in your hand? What is in your hand? And if you remember, some of you might know the story. He has a staff. He's got a staff in his hand, right? It's a staff. And then God says, throw it down. And so he throws that staff down, and it turns into a snake. And he gets, understandably, totally freaked out. So he steps back from the snake. And God says, go pick it up. And so he picks it up. And then the Lord said to Moses, after he told him to reach out your hand and grasp it, he said, I did that so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to you. So what I'm about to sh share with you is not from me. I heard it 14 years ago, actually, at a leadership summit that I went with your wife. Uh, in August of 2005, done by a very well-known preacher, and it's stuck in my head ever since. He says, the staff in Moses' hand represents three things, the three eyes. First, his identity. It represented Moses' identity as a shepherd. This is who he was. He left the, the kingdom and went out to Midian and he grew up and he was a shepherd. That was his occupation. That's how he lived. His whole identity was wrapped up in shepherd. That's the first one. The second one, influence. A staff, you guide your flock, right? Or you whack them or whatever you do. You move them along. So his influence in his life had that staff. It was really, really important for him. And then last but not least, the third I, income. It's how he made his whole life, his whole living. It's how he took care of his family. It's how he took care of everything in his life. When Moses said, who am I? God said, I am with you. When Moses said, I don't know, I don't have the skills to do it, God said, I'll give you the words. When Moses said, I'm not eloquent and I can't speak, God said, I'll give you the people to surround you to accomplish the mission. But here's what I want you to do. Here's what I'm asking each one of you. What's in your hand? Who are you? What is your influence in your life? Who are the people around you? 
throw it down for Jesus. Throw it down for Jesus Christ. Throw down your identity and who you think you are. Throw down your influence and ask God to shape it, to mold people and bring them to Christ. And throw down your income so God can use it and make it come alive. I believe that is what God is calling us to do. And what God is giving us is an advocate. Anybody who has accepted Jesus in their life and been baptized, whether it was an infant or adult or they were confirmed or they said yes to Christ in their life, has been given the Holy Spirit an advocate that will talk to you that says you might not have the skills, you might have the excuses, but I am with you and I will send you the people to make God's love real. I don't know what, the, what God is calling you to do in your life. I have no earthly idea, but I do know that there are groans of suffering, maybe in your family or in the community or in the larger world, and God is calling you to go. What's in your hand? Let's pray together. God of light and of love, we give thanks that our identity is found in you, in your life, your death, your resurrection. You call us yours in baptism. And like Moses, you told him that you'd be with him, so be with us. When people question where we came from or who sent us, help us to remember to say you did. And when we don't think we can do it, help us to throw down our income. There's no perfect plan that you'll have before we go. We might not know the exact methods of engagement, but you are with us in this church. Help us to be the people you've called us to be with a faith that's open-minded and warm-hearted and that transforms the world. Help us to enter the brokenness, not with righteous anger like Moses initially did, but with righteous love. Help us to do it with some pistis. We ask all these things in Christ's name, amen. We give back to God through our uh, gifts and offerings, and all your money that you give goes straightly to the ministries of the church. Thank you for your generosity.